0: Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. I'm Alex Rodriguez.
1: And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're hear in conversation with business icons. This is the GM Shuffle We were all awaiting this incredible game And it started out incredibly, right? it lowered our emotions and put things in perspective about life That was really powerful And I think it's united the community together And I think you saw it there at the stadium you're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and V-CIN. is Femi Abebefe.
0: Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and v I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. And typically, we start the show with a lot of football news and notes and and it's jovial, and it's positive, and, and we have a lot of fun talking football because that's the sport that we love. But Michael, obviously we have to start with what we saw Monday night with the Bills-Bengals Monday night football game. Bills safety, Damar Hamlin suffering cardiac arrest. Uh, a scary scene that we saw there, something that I've never seen before watching the National Football League. Uh, luckily, since the days that have come, it sounds like he is doing much better. He is improving. Uh, Kyer Elam the Bills rookie cornerback just tweeted about five minutes ago before we started this podcast that our boy is doing better awake and showing more signs of improvement. Thank you, God. Keep the prayers coming, please. All love to three. Uh, so it sounds like hopefully we're crossing our fingers that he continues to do better, but just an incredibly frightening scene that we saw Monday night, Michael.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was somber and it was hard to understand. And you know, as I wrote about for VEASAN.com, uh, this week, uh, it's a a column up there. You can go read it. It, it, There's not behind a paywall or anything like that. But what I tried to talk about, which I think a lot of players, Shannon Sharp being another one, uh, this was one of the events that crossed the line and went from black or white. Does he have an ACL? Does he not? Did he break a leg? Did he not? You know, those things. And it it entered into a, a shade of gray that none of us have seen before, which is life or death, right? And nobody ever experienced it. And, the more I think about that this evening, Femi, the more I am really uh, thankful that we have such great medical people at every stadium. Mm-hmm. And someone said, and I don't know if this is accurate because I'm not a doctor, but you know, if he was going to have this happen to him, either an emergency room or on that field might have been the best place to have it happen because there were so many people there trained and equipped to handle it with all the resources they needed to save this young man's life. So we're thankful for that. And to me, as I sat back and watched it, it was uh, it was eerie, and it was scary because of that. I've never seen that before. I know a player in the early 70s ha- had had it died on the field, but the players, I believe, didn't find out about it until after the game. And so we've seen this before once. Uh, I think he had a heart attack. I'm not sure quite what happened or, or an aneurysm. I don't know, mm-hmm. but to me... Uh, this was so, and then to have a national television audience that we were all awaiting this incredible game, and it started out incredibly, right? That it just lowered our uh, lowered our emotions and put things in perspective about life. That was really powerful. And I think it's united the community together, and I think you saw it there at the stadium.
0: You definitely saw people uh, kind of unifying and it's one of the things that in times of crisis, it shows that there's still good people out there in the world. And you mentioned the medical first responders. I mean, hat tip to them, an incredible job that they did to at least revive him on the field. Cause you're talking about doing CPR. That's, that's you don't hear that on an NFL field, that the medical staff having to do CPR. It, it really was scary. And I think the moment that you knew that it was different than most injuries, cause you see football players oftentimes able to compartmentalize. I mean, I think better than any group of people in our country, football players can compartmentalize. And the fact that they, the faces of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Tredavious White, like, that you just saw the emotions, and that's when you knew that this was, this was much different than the normal, like you mentioned, an ACL tear or an Achilles tear or whatever you typically see on a football field, that you knew that this was literally life and death when those guys were reacting to the way that they were reacting. And the fact that the coaches reacted the way they did, just incredible leadership from Bills head coach Sean McDermott, Bengals head coach Zach Taylor— uh, Taylor spoke with the media earlier this week about what the conversations were like on the field. Here's what he had to say uh, between he and McDermott.
1: When I got over there, uh, the first thing he said was, I need to be at the hospital tomorrow and I shouldn't be coaching this game. And so that to me provides all the clarity because there were, there was no uh, unprecedented is the word that gets thrown out a lot about this situation because that's what it is. Uh, but in that moment, he really uh, showed who he was, that, that all his focus was just on DeMar and being there for him, being there for his family at the hospital. And and at that point, um, I think everybody, everything trended in the the direction it needed to trend and the right decisions were made there. But um, again, just just, uh, the way that I I really felt Sean McDermott led in that moment for his players. He was there for his players. He he processed the right way, which is incredibly difficult. Yeah, I mean. You know, I, I kind of thought that was the case. I, I put a tweet out that said, you know, if I'm Sean McDermott, I'm going to the hospital. The NFL can do whatever they want with this game. I'm taking my team to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I don't think, I, I, I think Sean was looking at it as himself, but I think the team the team would have not tolerated him going alone. They were going to come with him because that's part of the brotherhood, right? That's part of being part of a team is, you know, we leave no one behind and we're going with you. You know, and when you're dealing in a crisis, I mean, you know, the only thing you can do is 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 do what the right thing is for the for everybody. You've got to make sure everybody's included, and I think really they did a great job of that. And you could see it, you know. And you have to be proactive and take initiative, and you can't sit back. and I think that's what Sean was doing. He was going to be proactive and take initiative. He instinctively knew Mm -hmm. where he needed to go. He was in a crisis; he'd never been in one before. But he was very, very dedicated to understanding how to play the role that he was dealt at that specific time, and so I, I thought that was clear. The other thing I thought was really telling, Femi, uh, for me that was powerful was to see the stadium in complete silence. Yeah, you know, to n- no the no Bill fan or Bengal fan, no nobody left their seats. You know, and the stadium just felt silent. And the other thing I was really thankful for is the the Bills protected the player from and protected us from people seeing or the cameras trying to get in there to see what they were actually doing to him mm-hmm. you know that that and that's going to leave some trauma down the road for them I mean they, they watched they watched these medical people bring him back to life when he when they restarted his pulse so you know that to me is going to require more than just hey let's go on to the next game I think you're going to need a lot of you know we've seen that happen all the time we see it in war where people, these tough guys come back from war and serving their country. And all of a sudden they don't know how to deal with what they saw over there. And I think that this is, this was a traumatic moment and we're going to have to go through some professional therapy to really help. And those players who were crying like, you know, babies on the field because of what they were witnessing are going to need some help no matter how tough they are.
0: Yeah, I I think it's just like the fact that the NFL is going to have to put a lot of resources into helping these guys um, deal with this and and, and try to kind of cope with what's the situation that is. Because like you mentioned, the mental side of it as well, that's something that they're never going to unsee. That's something that will be with them the rest of their lives as they're hoping that their teammate, DeMar Hamlin, uh, can pull through this. We just got a statement from the Buffalo Bills that they just tweeted out about six minutes ago. It says, per the physicians caring for DeMar Hamlin, At the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, DeMar has shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. While still critically ill, he has demonstrated that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal, and he is making steady progress. We are grateful for the love and support that we have received. Uh, That's such good news. It really is. We continue to get more and more good news, and we hope that there's more good news in the coming days with this because, yeah, like this – yeah, that's
1: that that's powerful. That 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 helps us. I don't think yeah. it's it's hard for us to move forward yeah. without some clarity of positivity, right? And so it's easy to do that, you know, and it, it, it and it's going to help heal heal. And it's going to help us all. And I think to me, that that's the best thing I've heard all day today.
0: Yeah. DeMar Hamlin's father, Adam Shefford, tweeted this earlier this morning, but His father, Mario Hamlin, addressed the entire Bills team on a Zoom call yesterday to personally update everyone in attendance on his son. Mario Hamlin informed the Bills that DeMar was making progress, and in the words of one source, quote, the team needed it. So this is something that, like, the Bills are going to practice today. Their players are going to speak with the media for the first time today. Sean McDermott is expected to address the media as well as they try to make sense of what happened Monday night. But I'm I'm not even sure if we can say that, the healing process is beginning because we still don't know. Uh, Demar Hamlin is still in critical condition, but the the signs that we're getting now, the the notes that we're getting now about him making progress is definitely something that we 100% need. But it's going to be a difficult day for this Buffalo Bills team as they, I'm sure, will be reflecting heavily on what happened Monday night and having to address it in front of the media.
1: Yeah, you know, and I thought Mike Tomlin was great. I mean, Mike Tomlin, you know, came out and and you know him and Shaw, he and Sean McDermott both went to. William and Mary, so there's a friendship Mm -hmm. there, but he's, you know, he came out and talked about knowing this kid since he, since he was 12 years old and, you know, and, and, and and shared his personal feelings with them. And I, I, I love that. I love the fact that, you know, Tomlin is such a great leader and he's got such a magnetic personality that, you know, he, he can extend that and reach a lot of people that aren't even in the league, then this is a 12 year old kid that he's reaching, you know, and he's inspiring. I mean, and we all need that in our lives. We all have certain people that have inspired us to go somewhere. And, and DeMar obviously uh, gravitated to to Tomlin, who's easy to gravitate to. When he opens up yeah. his mouth, you're like, wow, this guy's impressive, you know, and and I could play for this guy. And, and uh, to me, that's just another lesson we can learn from this is that, you know, we, that we impact people, at younger ages that that we don't even realize. and it and even when they become famous or something, we see it. it happens all over. Mm-hmm. And, and when you take the time to do that, you become a better person. We saw people Monday night
0: sharing the link to the GoFundMe for the toy drive that Demar Hamlin was trying to raise money for. And it's all over social media. You can just search a Demar Hamlin toy drive. I'm sure you'll be able to find the GoFundMe link. But the goal of that GoFundMe, which was started in twenty twenty, was to just to raise twenty five hundred dollars, uh, Michael. Now they've raised more than seven million dollars in that donations. Great? Like that's just—it's yeah. truly incredible what people can do when they rally behind something and 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 try to put some positive energy out there after what we saw Monday night.
1: How about Harrison Phillips? I mean, you know, uh, I I don't know the relationship between Harrison Phillips, the defensive tackle for the Vikings, mm-hmm. and and Damar. But he you know he's by, you know he wanted to pay for the food for everybody there, and so. You know, I mean, just the little, little things that you don't even want advertised, I think, is so impactful. I think Mike, Mike Brown, who I have tremendous respect for Mike Brown, I, I think Mike Brown is truly one of the great, great, thought, thoughtful people in the league. He is willing to speak his opinion. Uh, most people think Mike Brown's cheap. I, I, I think Mike Brown is, is resourceful, and he doesn't want to waste money. That doesn't make you cheap and his, his histrionics and understanding the game from watching his father. And when he speaks, I listen. And I thought his statement from the Bengals and understanding, you know, they both went into the locker room. Both owners were in the locker room, mm-hmm. in the same locker room. And, and to put away, you know, what the seating is, I tweeted Joe Burrow's comments out today. Like, I, yeah. I think that's just, to me, what it's all about, right, Femi? Like, forget about everything else. Let's just make sure that this kid is help, is, is, can, can recover yeah. And we'll deal with everything else later. And no one, and no one, is going to feel that like they've got a raw deal in this. Because if he survives and he lives a life, whether mm-hmm. he plays football ever again or not, doesn't matter. Whether he can live a complete life, that's the victory.
0: One hundred percent. I think that's really well said, Michael. And once again, like this, uh, we we typically talk football here on this podcast, and we're going to get to the football coming up in a, a little bit later here shortly. But we just we needed to spend some time. Discussing this, and we're hoping, and and our thoughts are with Damar Hamlin, his friends, his family, his teammates uh, across, and all the his friends across the NFL and stuff, because this was really something that we had never seen before. And we're pulling for Hamlin, and any way that we can put out any sort of positive energy, we're definitely putting it out there here, uh, courtesy of the podcast, but. Um, I think that it was, It was. was. We, we needed to spend time on this, but Michael, uh, any final thoughts here before we uh, t- take a break here, and then we'll get to some of the football stuff?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think to me, United, I, I think the power of we is so much greater than the power of me, and I think mm-hmm. that we can all disagree on certain things, but I think when the time to unite happens, we all have to unite.
0: That's really well said. We're going to take a first break here on the podcast, and we'll uh, discuss more NFL topics on the other side here. This is the GM Shuffle. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code shuffle that's code shuffle for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks only on DraftKings the crown is yours. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York call 877-8 HOPE and Y or text hopeny 369 In Connecticut help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, um... It's hard to transition to what happens next in this Bills-Bengals game. Um, Obviously, first and foremost, like we mentioned in the previous segment, DeMar Hamlin's health is what's first and foremost, first, second, third, fourth priority here on top of all of our brains. But the league eventually is going to have to decide what to do with this contest. Now, there's been reports coming out. uh, I believe I saw this from Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk yesterday, saying according to... Two sources around the league he says momentum is currently pointing toward Bills Bengals not being resumed with AFC playoff seating based on winning percentage following the outcome of the week 18 games. Now, as of this moment, the league says that they're not going to resume the game this week. We'll find out, I'm sure, maybe tomorrow or within the coming days in the weekend about what's going to happen with this game but um, what do you think? I don't know if you're hearing anything about what they might do no. here. I mean, it's it seems so trivial to even discuss it, but it is probably the the next question that people will ask, hoping that once DeMar Hamlin is, is fine, that we can uh, get some news here on the football side of things.
1: You know, I, I think to me, you know, we, the seeding crap is, is so secondary, and I think mm. the players know it. And I think the coaches know it too. I think – you know, a first-round bye is nice. You know, you get time off. But, you know, at this time of the year, you want to keep playing. You want to kind of get to that goal. And home field advantage, you know, does it really matter, Femi? I mean, look, the Bengals went into – the Bengals played one home game. They went to Tennessee in one. Then they went to Kansas City in one. Kansas City, which has this incredible home field advantage, right? They're yeah. the best team in football. They, they're 13 seconds away from losing one game, and they lost another game at home. So, like – I I mean, for the sake of the for the the power of the moment, and for what what has occurred, I don't really care what they do. I think mm-hmm. want to rule it a tie, fine. You don't want to rule it a tie, that's fine. Rule, you know, go by winning. I don't really care. I don't think any. I don't think any team. I don't think any head coach. I don't think anybody's going to feel like they got screwed because it's like a. It, this is like a call, a bad call by a referee, and I know we're talking about a life or death situation. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to minimize that, but. To me, you know when you complain about a bad call cost you a game and you ignore the other things that you could have done to win the game, it's the same thing. So if you're going to complain about this, this event costing you home field advantage, well, if you would have beaten this team or made that play, you wouldn't have had to worry about this game, right? Mm-hmm. So like, like don't boil everything down to one. Like it's never about one. It's about the, the everything. and this is bigger than light. This is bigger than anything. So just accept it. And whatever yeah. the league decides, they decide, and, and shut your mouth. Salute smartly and carry on, and, and go try to figure out how to win. Whether it's on the road, whether you're the six seed, seven seed, who cares, you know? And I don't think I don't think it should alter any of that. I think I think most teams, knowing the clubs, most teams would say, "Do whatever you want. We'll work within it."
0: Yeah, I think that's the important message of like having the perspective of like, all right, like yes everybody wants the competitive side of things to always be at the f- f- forefront here. But when a situation like this happens, it's like that's going to have to take secondary and whatever the league decides is going to ultimately be the right
1: decision um, here. And, and I think – I'm sure they'll it's come It's the only with one, right? It's the
0: only thing that they yeah, can it's
1: do. It's the only decision. You know, whatever yeah. it is, it is. You know, you can't – like, look, you could sit there and say, well, we, you know, we could have had home – look, you could have done something else in another game, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. you wouldn't be in this situation. I mean, you know, it's so – I I, I love Burroughs comments like he just basically said exactly what I believe is whatever it is it is we'll deal with it
0: yeah I'm gonna pull up that tweet that you tweeted about Joe Burroughs comments I think it's important for people to to hear what he had to say. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, he said, I love Joe Burrow. This is the tweet that you put out four hours ago, Michael. He said, I love Joe Burrow on and off the field. Love this quote and, ev- and believe everyone in the NFL agrees. Quote, I think whatever Buffalo would want to do would be what we would want to do as well. We're behind them 100% and support them in whatever way or whatever they would decide
1: to do going forward. So I think that's, that's a perfect way to say it.
0: It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, well,
1: it I, is. I like, mean, we'll just- and I think that's, uh, that, that any true competitor, any person who truly competes, and loves the f- loves the 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 thrill of competition feels that way because they know that just get me in the game, just get me in, and we'll figure out how to win it, forgetting whatever obstacles we have to overcome. Because there's always going to be some kind of obstacle, right? I mean, there's always there's nothing easy. I mean, look at it. I mean, you know, we talk about home field. I mean, if that what was it? I think it was uh, I forget the safety that dropped the pass last year in San Francisco. Was it? Oh, was
0: uh, it uh, Tart?
1: Tart, yeah, it was tart. I thought it was tart. You know, I mean, if, you know, if he catches that pass, we have two road teams win the conference championship games. Yeah, think about that, right? So don't talk to me about home field advantage. Like I know it's important. It was really important when this when we didn't advance the game to the point where we can communicate. You know, to the level that we can communicate on the road, right? Mm-hmm. We can communicate really well. We've got signs, we've got handles, we got the silent snap count, people. People play better on the road. The advantage of playing at home is simply this. You know, yes, you sleep in your own bed. Yes, you have the comfort of the locker room, all that crap, right? But at the end of the day, football is about the snap count. That's essentially what the game's about. Yeah. And, it, and the offense is, has an advantage because if they hear it first, they get off the ball. If the defense, if the home crowd keeps the offense from hearing the snap count and, and that becomes a tie, the defense wins. So... The offense has figured out how to eliminate that, and so we move forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the appropriate sentiment there in terms of what happens next with Bills and the Bengals. Uh, On the football side of things, because the Bengals will be hosting the Baltimore Ravens this week, and that game is going to go off as scheduled, 1 o'clock Eastern time, according to the NFL. The entire Week 18 schedule is going to go off as scheduled. Uh, Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, Michael, uh, we have not seen him for quite some time. And once again, he missed practice on Wednesday due to the PCL injury. In his knee, and a lot of questions about what's going on with Lamar. Will we see him in the playoffs? Because the Ravens are already in the postseason; they're going to be playing in that wild card game if they're not able to win the division. Uh, what do you make of all this going on? John Harbaugh seems to be kind of giving out cryptic messages as well. It feels like there's just a lot of uncertainty around this whole thing.
1: I thought today when I read this quote, I I kind of like to me, you know, years ago we I we used to do this thing on the daily. I, well. We started this company called the National Football Post. It was uh, Andrew Brandt, Jack back then, myself, Joe Fort, and Bob was there too. Was on ESPN now. Mm-hmm. We started this, and and every Monday, every morning, I would take like ten articles and basically the quote from the article and translate the quote into what he really means, right? And it was all just sub, it was all my own conjecture towards what that they were th- saying. And when I read this one this morning, when I read John Harbaugh say, "I'm going to leave all the stuff alone and focus on the game," like I-, I don't know if this is true. This is conjecture. Mm-hmm. I got the sense that Harbaugh's tired of this. Like, like Harbaugh, like he's tired of talking about it. Like, okay, it, when he wants to play, he'll come tell us when he wants to play. Like, we're just moving on without his ass. And there, I don't know if this is true. So uh, again, this is speculative there's there was frustration and I'm going to leave all that stuff alone cuz Harbaugh's usually pretty much well we're going to see you know he's usually pretty coy about what he says right mm-hmm. and, and so I'm going to leave it all alone and focus on the game basically saying hey Lamar this is 2 years in a row now you've kind of left us alone well, I'm going to go focus on the game now I, I'm not I'm not taking sides here like I get Lamar being have to be really careful because there's a lot of money at stake here yeah right and this is this is one of the, the the concerns you have when you don't get a contract done. And I don't know whose fault it is why it didn't happen, whether Lamar was asking for too much or the guarantees of Deshaun Watson. But this is really, let's be clear here, this is the residual effect of the Deshaun Watson contract here. There's no, no doubt about it. The full guarantee mm-hmm. is playing a role here, even though people don't want to link A and B together. So I just got the sense, I don't know how you interpreted that, but I got the sense that that's what Harbaugh's saying like okay enough like i i i can't i can't i can't heal his knee any faster i don't have any magic potion i can't make him want to heal it faster i can't make him go to double treatments or triple treatments you know i don't even know if he's doing all that right so you know that like usually you see players say hey i'm really working hard to get back we haven't heard any of that right mm-hmm. so I think he's just saying, okay, screw it. We're going to go into Cincinnati, give it our best shot. We can't score any goddamn points. Our offense sucks. We talked about that on Monday. <laughs> you know, we'll try to do the best we can and hopefully we can steal a win, you know, and win the game and create some turnovers and find a way to win the next playoff game. Because I get the sense from that quote, I don't think he thinks he's going to be in a playoff game.
0: That's the one I kind of picked up as well. I, and I think that he's just like, quit asking me about a guy that's
1: not going to be here the rest of the season yeah. for
0: us. That's exactly
1: – yeah. you put it better than I said it. That's exactly what I thought. I'm tired of talking about this guy. And, and, and look, again, this is not – this is all gray, right? This is not I, I'm favoring the Ravens here and I don't favor Lamar. Like, Lamar, this is what happens. I mean, this is what we call second-order thinking, right? So when you're sitting in the negotiation and you're trying to get this done, when you second-order think, that means you play it all the way out, Okay. Mm-hmm. And when you played it all the way out, someone in the room had to say, well, if he gets hurt, what's the chances of him wanting to come back from some injury that he could come back from knowing he doesn't have a contract? They're too smart in Baltimore to not ask that question, right? So they had to know this is part of the, this is part where they said, no, we're not doing that. They had to know that this could be a possibility.
0: Do you think that There could end up being some sort of like schism between Lamar and the Ravens that boils over into the offseason to where maybe they use the franchise tag on him and actually listen to trade offers for Lamar Jack. Because I doubt they're they're not going to use the tag. Like they're not going to let Lamar just go off into unrestricted free agency and let him go to the highest bidder. Like that would be
1: uh flagrant. That's a great question. But like that's a great question. Where does this go? I think what what fans don't understand is the franchise tag is twofold. It tells the it tells the player in one instance we want to keep you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It also tells tells the world we have an asset that we're going to protect. It doesn't mean we want to keep you, but we have an asset we're going to protect. Like you're worth more. It's like buying jewelry, right? If you spend yeah. ten thousand ju- uh, dollars for a for for a, a necklace and, and and you only spend five thousand and it's appraised at ten, you know you're making money here, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. It's like okay, I don't want Lamar, but to let them go to get a compensatory three, I, I got I to gotta get more than that. So I'll protect them. So I I agree with you completely. I, I would suspect, knowing how difficult it is, knowing that we're almost going to get to 70 quarter, but new quarterbacks on the year, that Baltimore has to wonder, if we let him go, where are we going? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where are we going?
0: Because their they're record's too good to go find a guy.
1: Yeah, I mean they're not going to get one in the. I mean they're going to. What are they going to do? They're going to go after Derek Carr. Were they going to put him there? I mean Tyler Huntley. They can't make any plays in the now. I'm not saying it's all Huntley's fault, and nor am I saying it's all Roman's fault. But but that offense, even when Lamar's there, is horrendous. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I mean Lamar was averaging 6.9 yards per attempt. That's that that isn't even close to being good enough. That's not even close to being good enough. You know, and, and meanwhile Huntley's down to 5.9. They have no passing game. I mean think about this, Femi. I mean here we are getting ready for playoff times. All right, here's their last here is their last s- 7 games passing. Okay? You mm-hmm. ready? Yep. 193 yards against Carolina. They scored 13 points. They got 253 against Jacksonville, they lost, they scored 27. They come back against that vaunted Denver Broncos, they get 182, they win 10-9. They play Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. They win the game nine, the 16-14. They get 94 yards passing. They come back and play the Brownies on Christmas Eve or, or the week before, and they get 126 yards. They play the Falcons, and they get a buck 15 against one of the – let me just stop there for a sec. Yeah. One of the worst defenses in all of football, the Falcons secondary. Right? They get 115. And then they they come back against the Steelers, and they get 120. Like, How, how are you going to beat anybody – with those numbers.
0: It's, it's really anemic, I think, is the way to describe what they're doing offensively. You mentioned Lamar uh, when he was playing. He started 12 games this season, that yards per attempt, 6.9. That's almost a full yard less than what he was doing his MVP season in 2019 when he was at 7.8 yards per attempt so like this thing is really just kind of gotten off the rails for the Baltimore Ravens uh, Lamar Jackson though is the all-time I believe rushing yards leader in a single season for the NFL the guy who was chasing him my man Justin Fields is yeah. done for done for the season Michael uh they're, they're, yeah, gonna, they're gonna they're gonna put him on ice there with the he has a hip issue and after discussions behind closed doors between head coach Matt Eberflus and the general manager Ryan Poles they decided that uh Fields it's best served that he uh, takes this game off in week 18 and starts to heal up and get ready for 2023.
1: I mean, you know, look, this is like the the the, the trainers in the corner not letting the boxer go out and take more punches. I mean, this poor guy's getting the shit kicked out of him, right? <laughs> and and this team is so bad at Chicago. I mean, let's be clear. I mean, we said it before the season started. I mean, their last win came on October 24th when they beat the Patriots. It, it Probably their shining moment of, of the season. The Patriots turned the ball over four times, but you know, and I know they got rid of players and I know they traded guys away, but this is not a that offensive line is so bad. And mm-hmm. to put anybody back there, you risk that you really risk it. But what loses sight in all this is how bad they are on defense, right? They can't stop anybody's running game. They're 29th in the league in yards per attempt, right? They're 32nd in yards per attempt passing. So, even though people don't, you know, they're, they're 10th in they're 14th I think in yards Because people are so, so can make yards on the ground. They don't have to worry about it. They just gain yards on the ground. They don't care. This is, and so, and then they can't run the ball. I mean, they can only run the ball. They can't throw it, right? They can't throw it at all. They average, they're 31st in the league in yards per attempt. You know, they're 32nd in attempts. They don't even try, and they're 32nd in yards. So they can't throw it, right? All they can do is run it. They can't play run defense and they can't play pass defense. They're just a bad team. So, I think you just want to save your player and get through the season and just basically this is – your Bear fans, this is what Ryan Pace left you.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. He left them a pretty big mess. And uh, we saw the line jump from – it was one and a half, and there was rumors that Fields might –
1: How was it only one and a half? When that line came out, and Minnesota was a one and a half point a, do- a favorite, I'm like, "What is going on here? Like, is, is the, Cousins not playing?" The market hates Minnesota. You, you know that. <laughs> the, the market hates them. <laughs> but I mean, I there's one thing that. But uh, have you paid attention to, to Chicago? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I mean, now we got Nate Peterman coming in. I mean, behind that offensive line. I mean, God, I hope Nate Peterman's mom has a rosary with him because, I mean, I feel bad for him. He's going to get the shit kicked out of him. Like, I wouldn't want that for my son at all. Like, there's no way. Like, he's going to get killed.
0: Well, the line shot up to seven and a half, eight after the official announcement that Fields is going to be out, and it will be Nathan Peterman behind center. We saw Peterman earlier this year, and yeah, he didn't look too good. Uh, I believe that was the game against the New York Jets when he went ahead and played, and it was was an ugly scene. I mean,
1: the best thing for Nathan Peterman is Mike Lennon's back in the league, because now he will not be the worst quarterback in football. (laughs) Mike Lennon has that title wrapped up. Yeah.
0: Uh, It's going to be some interesting quarterback play that we see in week 18, but there's one that I'm actually intrigued with, Michael, and that's the Washington Commanders going with Sam Howell at quarterback, the rookie out of North Carolina. I believe he was a fifth-round draft pick for the Commanders. He's going to be starting against the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys favored by a touchdown in that game. Dallas needs the game to keep their NFC East hopes alive. Now, they also need the Giants to win as 14-point dogs. Seems less than likely that that will happen, but Dallas will be playing at least for a half in this game. Uh, What do you expect to see from Sam Howell in this contest as Rivera decides to not go with Wentz or Heineke?
1: You know, it's funny, you know, I mean, the fact that he's going to inactivate Wentz is is kind of a telling tale, right? Like that, that, that tells you like, what is going on here? Right. I mean, you, you know, Wentz is, you know, he's not going to be back next year. I mean, when, when your guy that you traded for and he's not, you're going to inactivate him, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think to me, look, Hal played well in the preseason. I thought, I think it was three years ago. I saw Sam Howe playing at North Carolina. I thought, wow, that guy's really good. That guy could be special and then i didn't think he progressed a lot in, in his career at, at north carolina you know whether it was the offense or whatever but this summer you know this summer he looked really good you know yeah. he got the ball down the field you know he was i no, got the shit kicked out of him I mean, he only had i think he was only on the field for like through like 70 passes he was sacked 9 times I and mean, that's how bad this but that's what happens in preseason games right mm-hmm. you know you get you get you get the shit kicked out of you because the backup line. I mean, the Washington football team is the first line isn't any good. Let alone the backup line. So uh, you know, I mean, I think it's a smart play for them to see what they have. I, this will not deter them from having to go search for a quarterback. There, there's not enough evidence to support that. Let's just go with how in the next season they're going to have to protect themselves. They'll have Heineke on the roster, but I think to me this gives them a chance to operate and look around and see where they're going to go at quarterback and. What are they going to do? I mean, like, I I don't know. I mean, I think there's so much uncertainty in Washington, right? If, if the owner sells the team, which is a good chance that he's going to do, does the new owner come in and want to change everything? Probably a smart thing to do. You know, if I was, if I bought the Washington commanders, I would come in and I would basically have an exorcism and and clean everything out. I would change the name again. I would just do everything. I would just get when I get all of Salem, Massachusetts down there, and I would just cl- have an exorcism, just clean everything out, like get it all out.
0: <laughs> this would be the uh, the Landover Witch Project or something. Going
1: I mean, I think yeah, exactly. I'd get it all down there. I mean, I'd have I'd have people doing it. I I, I mean, whatever we got to do, you know, I I'd bring Creskin back from the dead and just I don't even know if he's alive. I mean, just get him in there and just like okay, we got to get all this shit out of here, like we got to cleanse this building. I, yes. <laughs> That's the word. Out of I mean, God it, because me. this guy left a mess, and, and and trust me, that that mess is still in the walls here. You know, we got a few. First thing I would do. The first office. thing I would do if I owned if I owned the Washington Commanders team, the first thing I would do is take the the former general manager, the punter's desk. I would take it out back and burn it. Just if he sat behind it, I would burn it
0: they might need a ritual or something to to get them back in the right direction uh, that team we'll get the, we'll get the fumigating going on out there in the in the facility to get out whatever stench is uh, messing them up at, at Commanders park but uh, so Sam Howell will be starting for the Commanders we're going to get Nathan bet uh what are you doing I, I, I know I t- you were playing possum on Monday you were playing possum on your Cowboys I, on Monday I'm now intrigued. what are you doing I'm intrigued by Howell and I also think that oh, Dallas I, I think I don't think Dallas is going to play out the string with this thing cuz there's going to be some scoreboard watching if they go into the locker room at halftime they see that Philadelphia is up 17 or 20 points. I mean, why would you continue to play
1: your starters? So, the, I don't know why you'd play your starters to begin with. Like I, mean, I don't yeah, think I guess there's, I, there's the chance. I mean, Where is what? What do you think Washington's motivation is? What do you think, so, they're mo- you think they're going out there to win one for the Gipper? You think they you think there's a speech in there? You, I mean, you think um, I mean, you, you think that you think they're they're out there I mean, they want to get the se- they can't wait to get to their exit physical. This season's over. I mean, they want to go.
0: It's one, two, three, Cancun for the Commanders. Is that what we're
1: saying? Yeah, I mean, like, I think they're on that same boat. Adele was, uh, 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 Adele Beckham was on. You know, like, like, let's go, let's get this party started here, fellas. Maybe that's the case, but I mean,
0: you never know in Washington they get the we want Dallas chance going, and and maybe the atmosphere. You think anybody's rises.
1: coming to the game? Probably not. It, be they cowboy had, fans? They'll be there. Did the you? Game. Yeah, they will be cowboy <laughs> fans. Did you see the stadium last week? I mean, they had their reunion of their championship teams. Like the whole upper deck was empty. Like nobody was there. Like and they're honoring their former. They're honoring their greatest teams. You know, it's, it's like a sad like state of there's. Affairs. There's, that's why you need an exorcism. That's why you need to cleanse it all. There's nobody until you do that, you're not moving forward. You think anybody's coming to this game? Oh, let's go down there. You know, I want to watch the last Washington game and see him this year, you know. We want Dallas. We want yeah. Dallas. <laughs>
0: I guess it's not the 90s anymore. I got to forget that. Uh, but yeah, Cowboys fans will be there for sure. There's a lot of them in that area. So I'm sure they will be uh, decked out into the navy blue and all that stuff. But uh, in the Miami and New York game, Dolphins taking on the Jets at home down in South Beach. Teddy Bridgewater right now preparing to be the starter, but he's still dealing with the dislocated
1: pinky. Last I read that, they weren't even sure if Teddy could even grip the football. I don't know how he's going to it. Oh, he throw. tried to throw it one yard. Femi, have you ever – have you like, I, I, I was – you know, like you hurt your finger. That finger is the guiding point for the ball. Mm-hmm. Like he's not going to play. That's why they signed the great Mike Lennon. I mean, this is a Skylar Thompson game. You know, and oh and gosh. go with what what you will. It's a must I mean, win. You know, game. I, I know it's a must win game. But what else are they going to do? I mean, their quarterback's hurt. Their quarterback's hurt. There. I mean, Teddy hasn't been able to stay on the field, and every time he's come in. He, he, you know, when he came in the last Jack game, he was out in the first what first series. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like, look, it's you know the funny thing about Miami when I run my numbers during the week on on these on the teams, and I was so like, you know, Miami has this perception that you know they're on this losing streak and they've kind of pissed away their seat. But when you really break down their numbers, right, when you break down all the categories where that I believe go towards winning, right, like I have these 19 categories, like Miamis, they're 29th in penalties. They're 29th in turnover ratio differential. They're 27th in forcing incomplete passes, right? They're 27th in third down the opportunities to convert. It isn't a percentage. It's, okay, how many third downs are you forcing and what do they convert per game? They're not. They're not good in that area, right? So, in the red zone, they're not good. They're 27th. I mean, points per play, they're like everything about their team from last year to this year, especially defensively, has gotten worse. And and what's made the matters even more difficult is this. One of my mantras is look, if you want to play good defense, play less defense. Mm -hmm. And what Miami has done last year, they were last year, as much as people bitched about their offense, uh, is they were able to control the ball for almost 31 minutes in the game. This year, they only control the ball for 20. Their defense is playing 31 minutes, and they're not good enough to play 31 minutes. Their defense needs to play 25 minutes, right? But they don't run the ball enough. They don't control the ball enough, and they they make big plays. Don't get me wrong. They make big plays, but they've already given up more points now than they gave up all of last year in one last game.
0: That's pretty crazy. And Think th- about that. I mean, think about what we were talking about five, six weeks ago with this team. I mean, well, eight, we were talking about three? them because they were
1: this elite, you know, they beat Chicago and Chicago by three, and we're like, oh, my God, they're great. And then they blew out Cleveland, and they barely beat Detroit up there. Remember, they had the great second half against Detroit. Mm-hmm. We forget that the 16-10 to 10 game against Pittsburgh, the guy tried to throw four interceptions. They just didn't catch him, and Pittsburgh's playing with a with a rookie quarterback, and he's got a chance to win the game on the last drive of the game. Think about that. i I mean, I mean you know, so, game? like, all this talk about them being a great team, has two improved his numbers? No doubt. He's, you know, what? Well, he's fifteen points higher in his rating. His average per attempt is way up there. But once again, they're not playing complementary football. They're making him look good, but they're not covering up the sins of their team. To me, that's the bigger issue. You
0: give him a fighting chance to win on Sunday,
1: yeah. I mean, Thompson? look, they're playing the Jet. They're playing your team. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, Mike White. Will, you know, look, that I don't know what the motivation is for. How Miami's defense is going to play? You know, mm-hmm. the Jets. Jets are to me the Jets. When I watched that tape this week, I thought the Jets will be embarrassed by how they played defensively against Seattle. The missed tackles that they had in the game, you know, the lack of physicality in the game. You know, the way they were allowed the first the first run of the game. I mean, they Set they got the, the the safety sitting right there in the hole. All he's going to do is make the tackle, and he just whiffs it.
0: Well, Robert Sala said that he's friends with Mike McDaniel and would like to have him join him on the beach uh, sooner rather than later. So maybe that's the motivation for the Jets to
1: go ahead and win this game. Uh, we shall see this upcoming season. I, I think the Jets need to win it. I think the Jets need to build some momentum into the offseason. Because let's face it, you know, I mean, I know so. Saul- Sala came out and defended his offensive coordinator and all that crap, and and he could sit there and say we have got injuries and all that. But you know when you end the season on on a five game losing streak or a six game losing streak, and frankly, it would have been if they lose this game, they would have lost seven of their last eight games. I don't think that's the way you want to send the end the season. No.
0: Well, one of these teams is going to have a six game losing streak to end the season because both of them have been riding a five game losing streak. we all thought they were playoff teams um, one of them for sure is eliminated we'll see what happens with the Dolphins on Sunday Michael let's take another break on the other side we'll get to the 15 Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists here on the GM Shuffle
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment
0: That is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is not as um, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I
0: didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
1: many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal.
1: Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
0: All right, Michael. Last night we saw the Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists for the class of 2023. 15 former great football players on this list. And I know you have the book that we are all awaiting patiently for football done, right? You're a historian of the league. So who better to talk to than you about the 15 guys who are finalists for the class of 2023. And they are as follows. Jared Allen, Willie Anderson, Rondé Barber, Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Albert Lewis, Darrell Revis, Joe Thomas, DeMarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, and Darren Woodson. Uh, What did you make of the list when you saw it, and uh, are these the 15 guys who should be up for uh, inductees into Canton?
1: Well, you know, I mean, when I I first saw the list, I was, you know, obviously the name that jumps out. uh, There's always a name that kind of jumps out to me that I thought, you know, to me, Hall of Fame players are about who did I fear driving to the stadium or who was I, you know, who do I watch in all of, you know, Mm -hmm. like, You know, like when I would put on the tape, like who did I just? Oh my God, this guy is so good. I mean, how do we get around this guy? And you know, when I when I Revis to me is like okay. I I mean, I watched him in person. Mm -hmm. I think his career was too short. He, I don't think he took great care of his body. Let his legs go. But when he was on the field, he was as good a football player as I've ever seen. I I mean, I've ever seen. So he jumps out to me. You know, I, I know. When you watched when I watched Freeney, there was always a rule with Freeney. When he was on the field and when he wasn't on the field, when he was on the field, you basically had to you took your shots down the field. And when he wasn't on the when he was on the field, when he wasn't on the field, you took your shots. When he was on the field, you basically, okay, you gotta be careful, you gotta double him. I mean, the guy's got 125 and a half sacks, yeah. numerous quarterback hits. I mean, you know, he was one of those guys that to me jumped out. So and then you know John Lynch got in the Hall of Fame, and if you asked anybody on the Tampa Bay staff, and or they would have said Rondé Barber was their best player in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Now you know I probably need to go study more of Rondé to get there. I mean Anderson and Allen, those all these guys are really good players. But to me, what I try to point out in the book was there's a like what Dion said. My gold jacket is different than your gold jacket, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to put some of these guys in, you understand that. Like, okay, you, let's put them in. Like, Tommy McDonald's gold jacket's going to be different than Randy Moss's gold jacket. I'm just telling you, okay? And that's what my book's about, basically, is the mm-hmm. level of of that and, and how you let one – like, to me, is Freeney better than Charles Haley? No. Mm-mm. No. <clears throat> it took Haley like five times to get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, it took him forever. I mean, it took him forever to get in there, you know? And so, I mean, you know, I don't – so, like, to me, there's – we don't ever look enough of that. We don't ever look at, okay, who did we let in? How does he relate? How does he relate to this guy? How does he compare based on new numbers? And then we don't bring in enough of these uh, experts to talk about, oh, my gosh, this guy is, like, this really was – you know, a player that we just couldn't deal with. Like, to me, Rivas is clearly on this list. And I think Andre Johnson as well. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, especially coming from the place where he came from, where, you know, he's in an expansion team and the way he was able to rise above and make plays. But, you know, if you're St- Steve Smith, didn't make the list, right? Nope. Steve Smith didn't make the list, okay? And so, you know, and one of the things that I, I always believe in is touchdown ratio, right? So, how many touchdowns to catches do you have? How many touchdowns to catches do you have? And I think when you look at that, right, so Steve Smith's got 81 touchdown catches in his career. He played 15 years, okay, 14 years. All right, he's got 81. He's got 1,031 catches. Johnson, he played 12 years. He's got 70 touchdown catches and 1,062. What's that ratio? Whereas when I look at Paul Warfield, okay, Paul Warfield, 427 catches. 85 touchdown passes. That's a Hall of Famer. That's a Hall of Famer. That ball's in the end zone. That ball's going in the end zone. And whatever you want to say about it, it's going in. Like Reggie Wayne, he's got 82 touchdown catches, he played 13 years, 1070. So Smith, Anderson, Smith, Andre Johnson, Tory Holt, they're they're all in the same category, right? They're all in there. Yeah. They're all. Torrey Holt's gotten seventy four and nine hundred twenty. See, we, we, we and, and naturally, and one of the points I make in my book is we collect. It's like the, the Hall of Fame is like a draft board. Whatever, if you were to walk into the draft room in any draft room, they, there's a fucking thousand receivers up on the board. Okay, now we know that it's one of the hardest positions to play in the NFL. Yet there's, you know, every draft board has starts out with like eight hundred guys can play at receiver. Everybody can play. Right. And it's the same thing with the Hall of Fame. They put every – because why? It's easy to equate production to, to 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 performance. Where it's a little bit different to create – like Charlie Taylor, 79 touchdowns, 649 catches. I
0: mean, it's – the receiver position has always been one of the trickier ones. And I know some guys – Have, have you ever rate.
1: heard anybody talk about touchdown ratio? No. No, people don't talk about it. They talk about who they like. Randy Moss, 156 touchdowns, yeah. 982 catches. I mean, how about Marvin Harrison? He's uh, Marvin played with all these guys. You know, he played with Reggie Wayne. You know, Marvin's got 128 in, in 1,100 catches.
0: It's like most things in life. Anything that's voted on, it becomes a popularity contest. We know how these Th- things
1: go. That's what I try to yeah. dispel the myth of. Yeah, we know how these things go.
0: Um, what do you think about my guy DeMarcus Ware I thought he should have gone in last year to be quite honest in terms of the Hall of Fame I think he'll get in this year he has 138 and a half sacks uh, won a Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos uh, but was uh, a four time All-Pro was a game wrecker he, he gets in this year right do you think that's
1: well yeah. I mean I think it's so I mean it depends on how they view how they view uh, when how they view Freeney does Freeney mm. take some of his play a lot of this, too, what I don't think the fans understand, is who presents the player. Yeah, who's presenting them? I think it goes a long way in that presentation. Like you've got to be really, you got to, you know, like, you know, like some guys are passionate in how they present the guy, and if they can, and then how they work the votes. You know, I mean, let me ask you this question: Ed Tuttle Jones, who's would you rather have, Ed Tuttle or DeMarcus Ware? I mean, Ed Tuttle Jones is a legend. You know, he's a legend. He's not in the Hall of Fame though. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He don't get a sniff. Would you rather have would you rather have DeMarcus Ware or Neil Smith?
0: Ooh. I, Neil Smith was great for Kansas City and Denver. Uh where 138 and a half sacks? Now I get that the, the era was different. There was more passing in, in the era that Demarcus Ware played, so there was more chance for him to put up production. But I, I I would side with Ware, but I, I hear the argument though. How about Harvey Martin? Where are you going with him? Uh, see, I I know Harvey Martin, but I I didn't watch him play, so I can't edu- I, I can't from a, from an intelligence standpoint make a case against him or for. him. Played nine seasons, had 114 sacks. <laughs> He's not in. That's, that's, He's that's not a, good enough to get in. 114 in nine seasons, pretty damn good. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> not good enough to get in. Nobody fighting for him, though. That's the problem. Yeah, nobody fighting for him. So the, so when you ask me like does does where get in, it depends on who's fighting for him. You know who's doing. You know, too tall Jones, ain't nobody fighting for him. Yeah,
0: especially those guys that once they the, – the further and further along that they get from when they're playing days where there's less people that were uh, covering I, that I mean, during their time. Who are you taking between
1: Jared Allen and DeMarcus Ware? Oh, Ware, without question. Jared Allen was a terrific player, but I'm taking DeMarcus Ware. Because you're a Cowboy fan. But, I mean, yeah, Jared Allen played 12 years. He yeah, got 136 sacks. Yeah, I'm biased. got but. 136 sacks. You know, he got – you know, what he got? I, I think he's got like – I mean, like one thing about Allen, he fucking got used to tip balls down like crazy. Like it was insane. You'd try to throw the ball over his head. It was hard. Yeah. You know, he'll, he, also, he also, I mean,
0: he gave your boy his most famous moment in the
1: NFL too. Who's my boy? <laughs> I got so many of them.
0: <laughs> your boy Orlovsky.
1: Oh yeah. When he oh, ran, when right, he ran yeah. out that, the back that, of the end zone. <laughs> that guy, that guy. Okay. <laughs> let's take our Well, final Let's go three. to the next segment. That That'll kill that segment right there.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, let's get to Sunday Slate, week 18, the final week of the regular season. And before we get to the games with all the playoff implications, Michael, I want to talk to you about a game that has number one pick implications because we discussed it earlier nathan peterman starting for the chicago bears at home against the minnesota vikings bears now seven and a half eight point underdog so i mean they're not saying that they want to lose but clearly that they want to lose to try to get as best a pick as possible if they lose i believe they secure the number two pick but there's a chance that they could get the number one overall pick in april's draft because if the houston texans beat the indianapolis colts and the bears lose to the vikings it will be Chicago at number one and Houston at number two. But Houston can clinch the number one overall pick if they lose to Indianapolis. As an organization, if you're in that front office in Houston, if you're Nick Casario,
1: what is the discussion like this week in preparation for this game? There is no discussion. It's win. There is no discussion. It's win. Because if I walk down the Lovey Smith's office and say lose the game, and then Tuesday after the season I fire Lovey Smith, that he's going to say what the hell? Like what am I doing? Mm-hmm. So how can I have that discussion? Like, let the chips fall where they may. And all this talk about, well, you know, I yes, Bill Berman was telling me the other day, he was listening to the Worldwide Leader, and they had two people on talking about the draft. And, you know, in one sense, they were talking about how Bryce Young is elite, even though he's undersized, but he's great, he's going to be the first pick. And then they got to my man Stetson Bennett. And, that well, first of all, they never say anything about Bryce Young's size. They just said he was a great player. They get to Stetson Bennett, and they say, you know, he's short, he's not very big, uh, you know, he's probably going to be a late-round pick, but he's really come a long way. Stetson Bennett's bigger than Bryce Young. (laughs) But the perception is that Stetson Bennett's undersized, Bryce Young's, he's not. So, like, all this talk that Bryce Young's going to be the first pick, or is the automatic first pick, I don't think it's true. I don't know if it's real. It could be. He's certainly a talented player. I think he was yeah, born I to play quarterback. He's instinctive. I get all that. I worry about his size. I think everybody does. But the reality of it is is I, this doesn't matter. The reason I bring up that story is because I don't think it matters. Because whatever happens is going to happen, and then whatever happens after the season is going to happen after the season. You know, the Eagles, when they folded their tents to get that pickup when when Doug Peterson was the head coach, mm-hmm. that came that was a directive from downstairs. Now, that caused some consternation because what happened after that, right? Doug got fired. Doug got <laughs> yeah. Which so, like, I, I think there's, like, if if they had just hired – if they had just tie- – if, if they were like, okay, I, I know they just hired Lovey. I was going to say that. But say they had just – you know, Lovey was their guy, and they're really all behind him a 1,000%. Then you might have that conversation. But if there's a little bit of doubt that Lovey's coming back, which I got to think based on the season, there should be a little bit of doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did I – I mean, I gave you Lovey's record – yeah. The, um, like a month ago he was like 2376 and two as a head coach like I, like and I, and he hasn't won since then so like you know like I, I don't know I don't know I'm not in the building so I don't know but yeah. I just think the fans make way more out of that Walking into a head coach's office and telling him to lose the game for a draft pick that he might not be there to pick is not a smart thing.
0: I think that's fair, but in fairness to a lot of the fans, and I probably think this way as well. When you're bad, the number one overall pick is the most valuable asset that you can have. And if you go ahead and, and let's say they win, they go to the number two pick.
1: And if they want a quarterback, like you might have to move I, up to number I, one I, there. I, like, I don't, don't disagree, but but I don't disagree. But it's the same argument you have. Why would we play this young player, mm-hmm. who's got more potential, and play this old guy who can't play anymore because he knows what to do? right cuz coaches live in the moment they live for today right the personnel director the general manager wants to live for today but see distantly in the future right yeah. and so there's always that conflict and unless you have a head coach that sees the game from 35,000 feet that understands exactly the point you're making which is the right point it's hard to get that now if it were let's say it were a, a coach who you know say they hired you know, Jimmy Johnson in his first year, right? And Jimmy mm-hmm. and Jerry gave him this long-term contract, and there was no doubt he was coming back. Jimmy probably would want to lose the game because Jimmy was thinking ahead. He did end up getting the first pick in the draft. They yeah. picked Russell Maryland. But the point is, is you know, my, my point here is simply this, is it, it's hard to have that synergy and that alignment in a lot of these organizations. And the one thing I will say, I don't think Houston's aligned at all. So to get that alignment together would be another step.
0: Yeah, and that's something that we've discussed here on the podcast in terms of the alignment there between Casario and Lovey Smith and what's going on in that organization. But I think it's a really interesting talking point for this houston organization uh with what's at stake this upcoming weekend and obviously going into the offseason in the spring ultimately with the nfl draft but let's get to the games that matter though michael the chiefs nine point favorites our show sponsor DraftKings. they're coming to here to las vegas saturday afternoon to take on the raiders total 52 and a half jared stidham showed some things against the best defense in the nfl this past weekend do you think that he can also give another contender a little bit of a scare come saturday
1: well, I mean, they got to protect them, and you know they're you know they got to be able. They moved the ball on them the last time they played them. They had opportunities in that game. They went, they you know they had that lead. They lost the middle eight. They were I think they were up twenty one to twenty four to to ten. Next thing you know, they're they're up twenty one to ten. Next thing you know, they got the ball back. They're down twenty four to ten. They tried to double. They tried to take away uh, as best they could. They tried to take away uh, Kelsey, and he ends up scoring four touchdowns only in the red zone. You know, I mean, he didn't have a yards per catch big thing. So. Look, I think the Raiders are so beat up on defense. And the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs have so much to play for. You know, home field, it's still home field for Kansas City. I think I think they'll play really well. But they have these moments where they just fall asleep. Three three series in the third quarter against the Broncos, three and out. Now, this, this if you look at some of the players on this Raider defense, I mean, some of these guys probably won't even make it to camp next year, let them be on the team. So they should be able to move the ball effectively on the Raiders. And it should be a game that I think both teams will move the ball.
0: Yeah, it's a game. I think Kansas City wins it. That's a chance for them to get the number one seed in the AFC. We'll figure out what happens with the rest of the schedule. But uh, I, the Chiefs should win, but maybe it's a little bit close because Kansas City's defense, they've been playing with their food a little bit in, Oak, in Oakland. Jesus. In Las Vegas, if, if they can find some it's of those still, I still do plays. it. Don't worry. I know. it's. <laughs> I, I, I thought I kicked that habit a couple of years ago, but apparently I haven't. I think Vegas – can find some explosive plays with De- uh, Devonte Adams down the field. Saturday night, though, in Duval, AFC South title on the line. Titans taking on the Jaguars. It'll be Josh Dobbs at quarterback for Tennessee. They're six-point underdogs in this spot. Total of forty. Vrabel as a dog, it's very enticing, Michael.
1: Yeah, and his team's healthy. I mean, he's going to get all his guys back, right? I mean, I think he's you know he's got Henry back. He's like you know, obviously, and Josh Dobbs is going to come in, but. The Josh Dobbs experiment was for was purposeful, right? So he knows what he's got to do. I think when you watch the last game, you know there's certain times when you're watching a football game, you think, "Wow, that that you know they just dominated the game. They moved the ball like Dallas moving the ball on Philly. The scheme really moved it. Everything went well in the game against Jacksonville against Tennessee. There were some throws that are kind of what I call rare throws. They're not play like you don't want to say, "Oh, let's copy that play." Or look at that play works. Like there were some throws that Lawrence made in that game that were just freakish. Mm-hmm. You know, and they and, and if Rabel were watching that tape, Rabel saying to himself, well, they can't do that again. They're not gonna be able to do that again. I think it's a close game. I think Jacksonville will win, but I don't think these Titans are gonna go away quietly. I think they'll play well. I think six and a half's way too many points.
0: I agree. I took the six and a half. Uh, it's Vrabel in a must win game with extra rest, extra time to prepare, I think that's uh, it's going to be a very, very close game. The folks in Duval are going to be sweating a little bit, but I think ultimately Jacksonville wins the game by a field goal or something like that. Uh, Patriots, Bills, Ravens, Bengals, those games just incredibly difficult to kind of preview. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on those ones, clearly with Buffalo. They're going to practice yeah. it today, and they'll try to make things as routine as possible. Cincinnati, they're going to go about their business as well, but uh, any thoughts on those games?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think Cincinnati will play... Uh, I'm not saying Buffalo won't. I'm just thinking Cincinnati will play with purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, they're, they're, you know, I'm sure, you know, look, let's face it, the Buffalo-Cincinnati game before the injury, uh, before the medical emergency, let's call it that, it was going to be a red zone game, right? I mean, the winner of that game was going to be who stopped the other team in the red zone. It was a, it was a tennis match, right? Both mm-hmm. teams are going to volley back and forth. Both teams are hoping to get two punts out of the other one. And it was going to come down to who played better in the red zone. I mean, that's what I saw. I mean, initially, that was my first reaction to the game. And then even on the second series when Cincinnati got the ball again before the medical emergency, you could tell this was going to be a red zone game. Like, it's just going to go. So I don't know how Baltimore's going to match up in this game against them because Baltimore's good at stopping the run. They're not very good at stopping the pass. Now, last week, we never mentioned that Kalea I don't know if he's going to come back and play this week. I don't know. They need some more. They need him inside. They need to be able to rush the passer. Burrow's playing so good right now with these receivers. I think this is a really hard game for Baltimore.
0: I think so, too. That's a game that I'm going to stay away from. Campbell did practice earlier this week, so I think signs are pointing in the positive direction for him to be out there on the field on Sunday. Browns and the Steelers, Pittsburgh 2.5-point favorites at home at DraftKings, total 40. If Pittsburgh wins, they also need a loss from the Dolphins and the Patriots to get into the postseason. But what do you think happens in their game?
1: I think Pittsburgh's playing the best football that I've seen them play all year. I mean, that you know, they, they gave up 215 yards rushing to the, to the Ravens four weeks, three weeks ago, and since then they've played much better run defense. Their run fits are better. Look, it's going to be a close game, let's face it. Every game Pittsburgh plays is a close game, and they play hard. They play physical. I think Penny Pickett's making more and more plays. One thing we know with Pittsburgh, their line has gotten better, and their receivers are really good, and to me – I, I think they'll give the way Watson's playing. I, I mean, I don't see how they can muster enough offense in the passing game, especially if Pittsburgh plays the run game well. You know, if Pittsburgh plays this run game and they can stop it, you know, I, I think they've got a really good chance. I mean, last time they played, you know, Cleveland won twenty nine seventeen, but that was that was a completely different Pittsburgh team that mm-hmm. we saw then. That was a completely different team. I mean, look, you know, since he's come back, I mean, since he's come back. Watson's thrown for 130, 273, 140, 125, 155. I mean, they would have been better off st- staying with Brissett.
0: Yeah, well, he, Watson looks like a player who hasn't played football in quite some time. Yep, and, I'm no sure, doubt. and that's why Cleveland's get getting him these reps, because uh, despite being eliminated, they need to see what they have in Watson heading into 2023. Uh, I hope the Steelers make the playoffs. I'll say it right now. I hope they make the playoffs, because Pickett, while he's rough around the edges with some stuff, He's fun to watch.
1: <laughs> he is yeah, fun to yeah. watch. I hope they get. It. I, I mean, I don't think they can beat a good team. I mean, no, if, if yeah. they have to play, if they have to play Buffalo, but it'll be a good game. I don't think they can win, but it'll be a good game. Yeah, uh, Tomlin
0: in that situation as a dog. It's. I mean, I know they got blown out in that situation last year against Kansas City, but that was also with Ben Roethlisberger, who at that point in his career could uh, could barely move and barely even throw. Uh, Cowboys Commanders. We mentioned this game earlier with Sam Howell starting, but Michael, who do you think wins the game? How do you see it playing out?
1: I think this is a stay away game. This might be my Hall Notes play tomorrow. Like I don't know how you handicap this game. I don't know the motivate. I don't. I think Dallas knows that the Giants are folding their tents, mm-hmm. so they they know Philly's going to be one. They're going to. I think Dallas is focused on Tampa. I I can't imagine. You know they'll come. Maybe they'll come out and play well. But the, you know, I, I I it's hard to handicap this game. I think you're better off staying in the lane this week. Of okay, Detroit's playing Green Bay. Going to be a good game. Yep. Right? Goes back and forth. It was a good game the last time they played. Surprisingly, Green Bay played really good defense in that game. You know, Detroit ran the ball more effectively. Green Bay turned it over in the red zone. I mean, Goff didn't really throw it that well. I think, you know, that game at four seems like a lot of points. I have it as a one point game. I mean, Detroit's numbers on my charts have gone up tremendously, and both teams' game codes are similar. I think you're better off playing that game. I I think you're better off looking at, you know, like, uh, Carolina New Orleans. I think that game will be a real game. I think both teams want to really? play and end the season on a high note. I really okay. do. Okay. Yeah. I think the Carolina players are going to want to play for Wilks, and I think New Orleans players, they got a sense of confidence after playing so well. you know. But I think some of these other ones, I think you have to be really careful of in terms of what's the motivation for the team. You know, When I was in Cleveland, we were playing Seattle the last game of the year, and – it was Tom Flores' last game. I mean, everybody knew he was going to get fired, or I think it was. And then, but you know, we knew we needed, we didn't need to win the game. We were a wild card, but we wanted to play well going into the wild card round. We had to play in New England the next week, and so you know, when we found out that they were giving their exit physicals at Cleveland Stadium after the game, we knew we were on to win. Like those <laughs> players were out of town. Like, you know, like will Arizona play hard against San Francisco? I don't know. You know, I don't know. That's a big line. I don't know. I know the Giants are going to. Our Giants are focused on their playoff game. Will they? Will they keep the spread? I think that's a hard one to predict. I think the Rams, Seattle. I think Seattle needs to play well. I don't know where the Rams are. I think the, we know that Sean's disappointed in the way it has been this season. So I would only urge people that listen to to make sure you whatever games you pick, you only have to pick two or three. Pick ones that you you can really understand both sides' motivation. You know,
0: it's interesting that you bring up the Rams-Seahawks game, Seattle six-point favorites at our show sponsor, DraftKings, total 41.5. Every year, there's one of these games where a team has to win against a team that's eliminated. We saw Colts-Jaguars last year. There's been some other games that we've seen in the past. I I think the Rams might be sneaky live in this game because a lot of people are talking about, and and myself included, talking about, hey, if Seattle wins, then Detroit's eliminated, and that's a bummer for the Lions and all that stuff. I think that might be a game where it's going to go down to the wire. Sean McVay yeah. has had a lot of success against Pete Carroll in that defense. And Baker Mayfield, I'm not a really big, big big believer in Baker Mayfield, but he's at least someone who's competent. He's more competent than the guys they had playing against the Seahawks last time in John Wolford and Bryce Perkins. And That
1: that, that, that took it's, him on the last drive of the game. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be a little tight there. It's going to be
0: nervy, I think, at Lumen Field in Seattle. It wouldn't shock me if the Rams won that game, to be quite honest.
1: I mean, it's like Cleveland Pittsburgh. I think Cleveland will play as well as they can. I think Cleveland will play as well as they can. I, I don't I think mm-hmm. I don't think Watson's playing very well, but I think Cleveland's gonna try to do everything they can. I think the Jets Miami will be a real game. Yeah. I think you gotta handicap the quarterbacks in a game. I think that'll be a real game. I think anytime you get two teams that know each other, that hate each other, they're gonna play good. You know? I, I mean, I don't know what Minnesota's gonna do against Chicago. I mean, Peterman. You know all that. I, I, that one's hard for me to understand. The Giants, <laughs> we know they retreat. You know the Dallas should retreat. How about the Chargers in Denver? Chargers, the Chargers, retreat, what? Yeah. They're going to retreat. Yeah. So you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's the hard. lines nine. What's the the lines three? I mean,
0: Denver's favorite against the Chargers. <sighs> I mean, I think everyone's anticipating that the Chargers go ahead and retreat because
1: why that, would you play Herbert? Why would you even risk having a chance for him to get a the, the, to get a hemorrhoid out there?
0: So the, the scenario was like once the NFL decided that Ravens Bengals was gonna be at one o'clock Eastern, so that game is gonna be played before Chargers Broncos. If the Ravens lose that game like the market expects, the Chargers are locked into the five seed. So I think yeah, a lot so of people what are they are, yeah, for? exactly. They're they're not. And and Brandon Saley said that, yeah, we're gonna have our eyes on that game and we're gonna go about this thing as smartly as possible. So he's pretty much telling you if the Ravens lose, you're gonna see the Chargers B squad against Denver. This upcoming Sunday. But finally, yeah. you think the Packers
1: get the win against the Lions? I don't. I think it'll be a really good game. I think the Lions will play well. You know, I think they will. You calling it up, I think the Lions have a chance to be on national TV. Uh, I th- I think they'll move the football on them. I really do. I-, I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a field goal game. The one Achilles heel in the Lions, I'm not, I'm not sold on Bagley making field goals, Bagley, uh-huh. I-, I would be worried about that, but I think they'll move the football on them. So if the Packers
0: lose, they're not going to be in the playoffs. It'll be either be Detroit or or Seattle based on what happens in the Rams-Seahawks game. But you're not believing in this whole Green Bay-Rodgers storming into the playoffs here to be
1: Tasmanian devil. I mean, I think it could that. happen, I, I, but I don't think this is an easy out. I, I know they beat them once, and, and the Lions didn't play. Everybody talked about the Packers didn't play their A game. The Lions didn't play their A game in that last game either. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fascinating,
0: especially if the Rams beat the Seahawks somehow. That game, if it becomes winning in for that final seed on Sunday Night Football at Lambeau Field. Be a hell of a storyline. Well, that does it for this.
1: Well, before we go, I just want to say that I think we need to. uh, We might want to raise some money here. Uncle Junior's house here in Jersey is up for sale. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, (laughs) could there be a better house? We could. (laughs) We could fart in the same cushion for six to eighteen months, like he did. (laughs) I mean, you got to think about it, Femi. Give hey, it some thought. you telling people to come heavy? <laughs> they yeah, come, come heavy or don't come at all. <laughs> yeah. <okay>. All right. <laughs>
0: absolutely love it. That does it for us here on the podcast this week. Thank you to DraftKings, Vison and thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, on the ones and twos, as always. Thank you to you, Michael, and I'll talk to you on Monday, the day after the final week of the regular season. We'll have a playoff tree that is set and ready to roll. Michael, I'll see you then. Thank you, Femi.